Just before we turn to the scripture, let us pray once again. Father, we know that prayer is always in season. And you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation to redeem us. And now we are no longer our own. We owe you all that we are, all that we ever can be. We've gathered here today, Lord, to hear from you. We pray that the Holy Spirit will punctuate the word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will deliver it, old quad. We don't want to hear from man. We want to hear from God. Man's thoughts and man's words will surely fail, but yours, as you said, Lord Jesus, will never pass away. Bless us as we read. Anoint us, O God. Anoint the people to hear and anoint myself as I'm standing here responsible to speak. I'm depending entirely upon you in Jesus Christ's name. Bless all who participate today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read in, uh, in Zechariah, the fourth chapter. For those of you that were at the couple's evening, our brother Paul Frangos read the seventh verse. And I thought that was quite remarkable, which we're ending on. And the angel that talked with me came again and, wa- and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, and a bowl upon the top of it, and his, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right-hand side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. I will read also 1 Peter the 4th chapter, which we have been taking in the last uh, two services at least. And uh, as I've been speaking upon stewardship, and I will continue today on stewardship part 3, but I am really... uh, anticipating your full cooperation and attentiveness because I want to be able to feel free to move into uh, re-emphasize some things I just touched on in the past and go into it somewhat deeper. And so 1 Peter 4 and 10 reads, As every man hath received the gift Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 
especially coming to communion tonight, we want to think about ministering the same as we've received the gift and as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There isn't a single person here in divine presence, but what has not been on the receiving end of the grace of God. And that's what we will be largely speaking about. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The headstone, the unfolding of the headstone, the headstone, at the coming of the headstone, there were shoutings, crying, grace, grace, unto it. So obviously whatever was being made known at the coming of the headstone, and Brother Branham makes some very outstanding, very outstanding statements in the message of grace, and I'm going to try to uh, have you read uh, some of this with me, uh, just to see if we can have this up. Not up here. All right. Can I just take this very slowly, this first part, so you can get, really get yourself established. In this quote out of the message of grace, Brother Branham said, We know that this was during the time of the preparation of the restoration of the temple. That was back then. And Zerubbabel was a great prince amongst the people who had laid the foundation of the building. And now you, he said, I want you to put your spiritual thinking anointing jacket this morning as we think. And this great prince had determined to rebuild the house of the Lord. And then when he did, he had laid the foundation stone. God said Zerubbabel had laid the foundation with his hands. He also shall bring forth the headstone. And I want you to notice he never said shall bring forth the cornerstone. He shall bring forth the headstone. And we know that the scripture says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone and he's also the headstone. Now, if we will think for a few minutes, that the, and this is the striking part, that the seventh church age messenger 
was to restore the faith of the children back to the fathers. In other words, rebuild the church again under the power of the Spirit. Brother Branham is going back to Zechariah, the prophecy in Zechariah, as concerning what the Zerubbabel shall do. And he had laid the foundation stone, shall bring the headstone. And he, and he now re- brings that and takes a quantum leap from that time to this day. He said he wants us to think because in other words, the, the seventh church age messenger was to restore the faith of the children back to the fathers. In other words, rebuild the church again under the power of the spirit. So actually what we are participating in and what we are engaged in, we are literally connected to Zechariah the fourth chapter. This is a further part of it. This is really what that was reflecting. That was the negative. This is the positive. Do you believe that? Then it goes, not by power and not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, not by organization and not by denomination, but by the Holy Spirit, God will bring forth the church in the last days. And we can say amen. He has brought forth the church in the last days. Zechariah, now the scripture that we have just read. Who art thou, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, with shoutings crying, Grace, grace unto it. Shoutings crying, Grace, grace, at the coming of the headstone. Now he goes on to say, We've got theologians today, we've got doctors of divinity, we've got great men all over the world that smart, intelligent, and educated, but it takes the simplicity of believing God to make his word speak out, to show. In other words, his word speaks out to show that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it takes the simplicity of believing God to make his word speak out to show that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not by might, not by power, or by might, but by my spirit, saith God. I'll unfold this mystery, and he'll cry to it. In other words, at the unfolding of the mystery. He will cry to it, grace, grace, with shoutings and cryings. And that's what it is when? Today. God's amazing grace to his people. Hallelujah. And every man hath received the gift. Every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. We have received this great gift that's been unfolded in the unfolding of the word. Who knows the full depth of justification but the bride of Jesus Christ. And when the mystery's unfolded, there is crying to it, to the headstone. Grace, grace! 
with shoutings and cryings. Grace, grace. When we found out the truth, the mystery, a predestination. I was predestinated before the foundation of the world. It can only do one thing with shoutings, crying, grace, grace. Unworthy. Unworthy. Unmerited. Hallelujah. Rank sinners. Rank sinners in darkness. What can we say? Nothing. All except shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it. To the high headstone. Hallelujah. Grace, grace. Glorious grace. Amen. Grace. The manifold. The word of manifold. Is grace of many different kinds. He showed grace to Adam. He showed grace to Noah. He showed grace, and we'll come into it. He showed grace to Abraham. He showed grace to all the prophets. He showed grace to David. Grace and grace in its fullness came in the form of Jesus Christ, who was full, permeated with. That's all he was, was full of grace and truth. Manifold grace is grace manifested in many ways. Grace, the essential ingredient in every believer's life. To multiply something. Not to take something away, but to add something. Hallelujah. Grace gives power to overcome the repeated buffeting of Satan. Do you believe that? Paul said in Corinthians, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was a given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Those of you in the, have come to the knowledge of Christ in the message of the hour, there's nothing like it that there is on earth, but lest we become uh, exalted uh, over the abundance of revelation, I believe that sometimes we experience the buffeting of Satan. For the thing I besought of the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And perhaps you and I have asked the Lord more than that. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. So grace is more than equal to buffeting. For my strength is made perfect in weakness, and most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. <clears throat> Except I would be exalted above the abundance of revelation, there was given me, this is the scripture, a messenger of the devil, a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. He, and Brother Branham is quoting this. He'd get better for a while. Paul, speaking of Paul, then away it would go again. Buffet means blow after blow, like the ship on the sea. He said, you know, the waves buffet it, blow after blow. He'd get better, and then he'd have it again. And then he'd get better, and he'd have it again. And he said, Lord, what's the matter that you don't take this thing away from me? And he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Not just grace, but grace, grace. Hallelujah. When you get buffeted, and there isn't anybody that doesn't get buffeted, when you get buffeted again and again, blow after blow, remember, there's grace that's sufficient and more than sufficient for all of these things. 
We are here to live a life that expresses this grace. The prophet said in a hidden life, he said, the best thing is to live a sermon instead of preach one. And he said, you know that you're written epistles. So we are stewards of, we are managers, we are to manage and conduct ourselves in such a way of the grace, this grace of many different kinds, this grace of many different manifests itself in many different ways. This grace that is an absolute essential ingredient to the believer's life. Grace manifested many ways, and not only that, grace that is more than sufficient to every age and every condition. As I said a moment ago, grace was present in Eden. And I want to take this in just uh, the segments. I want to look at Eden. I want to look at Moses and the children of Israel. I want to look at Jesus' time. And I want to look at our time, which is the revealing of the Son of Man in our day. And, and also I want to point out that, the, that, the, that in every situation it was manifested in so many different ways. In the days of, of the Garden of Eden, when God came with grace for Adam and Eve, they didn't have a law. They didn't have Ten Commandments written on stone. They didn't have that. So it was, that was one way. And then it came in Moses' time, it came a different way. But I want to also stress that the law that eventually came through Moses, the law, law there's a paradox here. And the paradox is, is a, like a statement that's hard to believe, but yet it's true. Or it could be true. And the paradox is that condemnation and guilt must be present for grace to appear. If you've had grace, if you've experienced grace, it's only because you've been guilty. That should have had a louder amen, if you really realize that. And you say, well, I was guilty. No, if it was not for the grace, we would be guilty at this moment. He says, how can we be accused? How can we suffer a penalty when we have the token with us? But if you didn't have the token, you're guilty. But with the, it's the token. And the token came by what? By grace. We weren't worthy of it. We couldn't do anything to get us. Well, I went to the altar. The altar had nothing to do with the grace coming to you. It just happened to be a moment when God moved on you. I, I was in distress and I called on the Lord. And he came and, 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 and met me. It wasn't, it wasn't the fact that you necessarily called on the Lord or that you got in a state of crisis. It was the grace of God that even allowed the crisis. It was the grace of God that allowed you to your distress. That was the grace already coming to you. Sometimes we think, well, the, the, the grace was just a goodness that came. No, sometimes it, in, in, in most every case, it's the grace of God that pressed you and moved you and squeezed you until you did cry out. And then grace, grace came. And when we have been recipients of the grace, then there's one thing 
left for us to do. And that is with shoutings and cryings back to it. Grace, grace. Hallelujah, grace, grace. This headstone coming to us at this time. So we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. At where? Calvary. Hallelujah. In a message when love projects, I'd like you to just notice this. He said, now, that's when we come, he said, to these crises. Everybody has been to their crises. And your crises might not seem as such a great thing to someone else, but only, only one knows really what goes on in the heart. You may have the dearest friend, you may have your spouse, regardless of how many years you have lived together. You may have the most blessed union. But you will come and you will go through crises that you can share with no one. And if you don't understand that, just take it from me. You can experience that. Brother Branham came to a crisis. He says, and that when sovereign grace steps in. He said, then something happened in my life. He said, I wish... If it ever comes again, that it'll never leave. It's going to surprise you what he's even speaking about. He says, and I only wish that there was some way that I could, and that I had the power this morning to project that to this group. This group of men and women here, and that it never leave you. He said, like when the maniac in Oregon. It was in Portland, Oregon. The maniac that came and he ran up to the platform to kill me. He said something happened there. He said you've often wondered I guess how those things happen. It's something in the stead of despising that man though he was there to take my life, number one. A divine law set in for him. And he called me a hypocrite and a snake in the grass and thousands of people sitting there and he spat in my face. Do you know what he was doing? He was, in the, he was actually in the throes of blaspheming. In the midst of his blasphemy. And he says, the people sitting there, and he spat in his, my face and drew back his fist. And he said, I'll break every bone in your body. Brother Branham actually described this event to me. And I've heard it from his lips, but I'm reading it to you. And he tells me he drew back his fist. He said he was a big man towering over Brother Branham. He says, I'll, I'll break every bone in your body. He said, but instead of despising the man, something... He said, grace came in. 
Now remember, he said he wishes he could come to this place and never have it leave him. And he says he wishes that he could bring it to the people at that time. And I said, oh God, bring it to us. Don't leave us out. Don't let us become so staid and so secured in our own self. Let us realize that if it wasn't for this moment, we'd pass off the scene. If it wasn't for grace. He said something came in, grace came in. In a moment when I needed it, grace steps in and projected a divine love in my heart that I could project to him. And I thought, there stands a man. A man like I am. He said he likes to eat and drink and his family, but the devil has him bound. So the love of God, he said, constrained me. The love of God constrained me. And the man humbled himself and fell across my feet. He said, grace stepped in when love was projected. It took the, this extremely dangerous condition and crisis to create the opportunity for grace to come pouring through. It's the paradox. And here's the paradox. A statement or a situation. This was a situation that seems to be contradictory. But in fact, it may be true. It would seem to be contradictory to me. And I'm sure there'd be some deacons that would come forward very quickly if a man came towering over me, threatening, spitting in my face, and pulling back his fist, getting ready to break every bone and tear me from limb to limb. I'm sure there'd be people that would want to. But there were others that wanted to come and Brother Branham held them back. This would be a paradox. Here's a man that is being raged and filled with demonic power. And the other man being filled with divine love. And the love overcoming the demon power. The love overcoming the blasphemer. And all we can do is shout, grace, grace. It was grace, grace coming through. Grace can only exist when guilt and condemnation is present. These are the principles of the unchanging God is right from the very beginning of time. And mercy and grace are attributes of God which can never be diminished. They can never lessen. I'm going to come to the mercy seat as we've had many questions Perhaps not us, but some of you. And uh, there's been those who have been caught up. And the mercy was over. I'll read, that, I'll read that question that was made to Brother Branham. Because he's off the mercy seat and he opened up the seals. And that's why the mysteries have been revealed. And he moved from the mercy seat. The mercy seat is not a chair. The mercy seat is not a physical location. The mercy seat is simply a... Uh, it, it, is, it is the... Uh, uh, it is an attribute of God, and God gave access to that attribute under one, under one formula at one time, and then he changes it. 
And then I'll show you in the scripture that this no longer, they could no longer get access to it, but only this. So as you listen closely, there are attributes of God. It's an attribute of God that cannot diminish. Now also in the message of grace, Brother Brandon goes to the garden. In the garden that morning when sin was so black, Jehovah came in. There stood his couple standing condemned. Condemnation and guilt must, can only exist before grace. Now, Brother Brown said grace was there before condemnation. Of course it was. Because the God of grace was present. He says, but there they stood condemned. He says, and there would be no human race. Think about it. No human race would come on the scene. He says, they had to die. Death on the human race. Give the world back to the wild beasts. And there'd been no human race. But in the darkest of hour... In the time when all hopes was gone. You might come into that moment. You might experience that in the darkest hour. And in the time that all hope was gone, grace came pouring through. I decided to make that one of my favorite statements. Grace came pouring through. In your dark hour. And I know for every one of you, you've hit that place. And in our dark hour, (laughs) grace came pouring through. And we owe it to say to the headstone with shoutings, grace, grace. Why don't you say it with me? You'll feel better. Grace, grace unto it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In my darkest hour, grace came pouring through. We speak of camp and some of the things that just happened at camp. I'll say to you young men and you young ladies, it wasn't, you know, that you called or that you prayed or someone else even preached. It was God's grace to you. You deserve to die. You deserve to go to hell. We all did. That was our due. That was what was due to us. There isn't anybody here that can say, well, I forget it. You deserved hell. Every one of us deserved hell. It was the grace of God. Hallelujah. Grace came pouring through. And now you can say, oh, hallelujah. With shoutings, grace, grace unto it. Hallelujah, and it needs to come from the very depths of your soul. You need to see yourself condemned. You need to see yourself guilty. You need to see yourself uh, uh, due to hell itself. And then say, oh, grace. Oh, grace of God. Grace, grace unto it. I can speak for some. I was raised in a Christian home, born in a Catholic home, but my parents came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the flames of the early flames of Pentecost. Say, well, that was the grace of God. Yes, indeed it was, but it only gave me religion. It only gave me religion. I'm happy for it. It kept me 
kept me clean. It held me. Held me through my teens. I was able to leave a, lead a clean life. But I was still hell bound. And I was still worthy of hell. Living clean down here doesn't make you worthy of anything. May give you a better life here, it will. But it doesn't make you more worthy than the prostitute or the drunkard that comes in the door. You need to say amen. That's the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. So paradox. That was a paradox. So grace came pouring through. And he said, I'll give you a savior. That's grace. A Messiah. That's grace. Oh, the promise of the just one that should come through the woman. That's grace. And the woman's seed shall bruise the serpent's head. Hallelujah. I want to shout hallelujah. There's a song, an old song that comes to my mind. I just want to shout hallelujah. Oh, I wish I could sing that song for you. I just want to shout hallelujah. Grace, grace. Amazing grace. I can tell you one thing, you'll never live long enough and you'll never have enough breath to say grace, grace too many times. So you might as well start right now. We're probably in debt. We're probably in debt having not said it enough. The coming of the headstone was supposed to create something within the people. Didn't make them a bunch of stones, just bumps on a log. It, it caused crying and shouting, grace, grace unto it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Tell you what, friends, I'm going to have a revival whether you have it or not. Glory to God. What provided a savior? Grace. In the days of Noah, the scripture says, and God saw the wickedness of man. It was great upon the earth. And that every imagination of the thought was of his heart was only, only, only evil continually. I heard where some theologians had studied that scripture for a very long time, trying to strengthen and make more potent those words. And after they had exhausted all of their research and all of their wisdom, they said that they could not find a way to make this scripture more powerful, more potent, and having more meaning. They could not strengthen it when it says, And God saw the wickedness of man, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created upon the face of the earth. As the prophet said, give him back to the beasts. God was at the verge of it there. I'll give it back to the wild animals. I'll give it back to the rest of my creation. I'm sorry I made man. 
But. But. Noah found grace. He found it. And the word found means he attained to it. He secured it. He got a hold of it. Grace. Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. I don't know what the population was, but one man, I I cannot stress that too much, but one man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And that has repeated itself over the centuries of time when the world was in such a state And finally God would find one man. As he did in this generation. Think, oh, we have all of our religion and all of our theology and all of our schools. It means nothing. All of our churches and all of our singing and all of our ceremony and all of the worship and all of everything else means nothing outside of God extending his grace to us. prophet said Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord it's got down many times to one man but God always has had a witness that he could put his hands on and say this is my servant I tell him to go and he goes I tell him to do this and he will do it Regardless of what the church says or what the people says, he will do it anyhow. God has a witness. In the third Exodus, he said he tried. He's tried to get it through every age. If he could only get one man. He got one man in the days of Noah. He got one man in the days of Elijah. He had one man in the days of John the Baptist. Just one man is all he needs. Think of it, friends, if he only needs one man. What do we have here today if there's a people that can say, I've been purchased by this grace, and I will be that woman, and I will be that man. Because I can tell you in in many cases, you're the only person that can reach somebody. It's not given that everybody will talk to your neighbor or talk to your friend or talk to your family. It's you and you alone. One man. Some of you young people, I see Mitch here just was baptized. I'm thinking not only of Mitch, I'm thinking of someone that only he can reach. And that's what we have to think of. Someone that only you can reach. And you are the grace of God going to them. And God has made you a steward of that grace. You're in charge of that grace. He's committed it to you. And you are to respect it. Be careful that that which has been given you doesn't become law. As it did in the scriptures. We'll be coming to it. Grace, grace is not greasy grace. Grace, grace is not grace that just allows people to live any way they are. Grace is that you mind your own affairs and realize 
that God has given to you a deposit that you are the recipient of grace and you are so consumed with what you have received of God unmerited unworthy of it doesn't raise us up to be judges doesn't raise us up and give us authority to stand and be responsible for everyone else's life God has given you a deposit of grace how did that come to you a wretched unworthy person And if it wasn't for that grace, you'd be guilty at this moment. Or you say, well, the blood of Jesus Christ washed my sins away. Listen, if if the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't effective and had its efficacy for you at this moment, you'd still be guilty. Because he didn't come and and, and, and give you uh, uh, this measure of grace for a specific period of time, but it's for all, all eternity. In uncertain sound. And as I'm preaching today, don't sit there and say, oh, I think he's trying to refer to this. You want to believe I'm referring to it. I'm not beating, beating around the bush. I'm speaking directly to issues and needs. And this is God's word to you today. Some of this has come to me over a period of many years. And I've just held in my heart. Especially that when I come to the compounded law. And it'll be quiet here as it was the other Sunday. Some of you weren't here. You maybe feel... See, there's a sense of we're humans and there's a sense of, you know, we feel justified and we feel we are A-OK. But in order for you to really experience the depth of the grace of God you have to see what he's brought you from and what you would be at this moment if it wasn't for his grace his grace at this moment where would you be I can tell you if it wasn't for his grace even at this moment that nature Satan would soon anoint that nature and who knows where you would be You'll be out in some dark hovel someplace. Your home's broken. Some of you would be already buried in a grave. A Christless grave. If it wasn't for the grace of God. You'd be on the street seeking out some entertainment or some enjoyment. You'd be gone. If it wasn't for the grace of God holding you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! With shoutings, grace, grace unto it! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! going to hold this meeting back I don't care what time it is we might carry right on to communion I don't know
Let the headstone be praised. Let the headstone hear the people that he's redeemed. Let the people of the Lord say so. There was one man in the days of Daniel. Only one man could understand the handwriting on the wall. One man in the whole nation that stood against the wrong in the days of Micaiah. One man. All the hundreds of ministers and preachers prophesied different from his prophecy. And he prophesied and spoke against the whole nation. One man. You're sitting here today, and we all are, rejoicing in what God has made known. But if I were to take you back for a moment, I can guarantee you there was a time when God, in his extra measure of grace, had laid his hand upon a young boy. And that young boy, when he grew to be a man and became a prophet of God, a messenger to this generation, said, The Branham family... They were not well thought of. People would walk on the other side of the street. People wouldn't want to be identified with them because he said, he said their family was considered as, as drunkards from their alcohol. And this is exactly what he said. He said the family of Branham didn't have a very good name around here on account of drinking. Nobody had nothing to do with me. And just remember that I couldn't get anyone to talk to, talk to me. Nobody cared for me. And now I have to hide to get a little rest. Here he already was born a prophet. And if you had lived as a neighbor to the Branham family, I doubt very much that you would have had such divine revelation that you would have seen something uh, divine happening and something of a supernatural nature. Nah. I'm afraid we would have been all in the, mostly in the company of everyone else and say, well, you know, that family, they're a bunch of drinkers. Mr. Branham has a alcohol. He's got a still up there. His son hauls the water to the still. And little would we realize that there was a wind blowing in a tree with a voice speaking out to him. What grace! I've got to shout hallelujah! What grace! It wasn't for him, it was for us! It was for you! Grace! Grace! Coming to the darkest of ages and the most deceived of people. The most religious. I doubt if we would ever recognized it. It was grace that called the first prophet that was ever to come. Moses. It was grace when his parents put him 
Well, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, I just have to say it. It was grace when, when they pushed him off into the River Nile. It was grace. It was grace that he was even raised in Pharaoh's kingdom. But the prophet said, and I must just go along quickly, it was grace come pouring through, I'll keep using that phrase, an escape. Grace provided a prophet. Grace provided them an escape out of Egypt. I've took these from a lot of different places where Brother Branham spoke about grace coming to the people at that time because I think it should relate to us. Grace gave them an escape out of Egypt. It was grace that brought you and gave you an escape out of the world. You too had taskmasters. Cruel taskmasters. You too hated some of your habits and things. And there was no power to break it within yourself. Grace came pouring through. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything good for it. You didn't say anything right. You didn't do anything right. It was grace. Grace gave them a smitten rock. Grace gave them the brass serpent. Grace gave them an atonement. Grace gave them a Passover lamb and a sacrifice. Grace gave them a covenant. Grace gave them an angel. They could travel by grace. And grace provided them with one of the greatest revivals they ever had. But the prophet said... They wanted a law. It's human. They wanted a law to live by. He said, and after all the blessings had come to Israel, yet they wanted, Exodus 19, they wanted a law. They wanted to have something that they could do themselves. And Spiritual Dobson, he said, you give us something. You give us something to do. He's, he's speaking on behalf of the children of Israel. You give us something to do to merit our salvation. We'll keep a law if you'll give it to us. In other words, but it never was God's plan. And here's where it changes, friends. Here's where we shift gears. And God gave them a law. And condemned every one of them. And made every one guilty before God. You have to be very careful what you choose. You, under the law, all of Israel was condemned. There were virgins there, and they were condemned. There were fine young men there. There were families there. And they were all condemned. And the Apostle Paul says this quickly. I would like to have had this on the screen for you. But listen very closely. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no. M-O. No flesh be justified. Doesn't matter how good that flesh is. Doesn't matter how it was raised. Doesn't matter what kind of standards a family had. No flesh would be justified by the deeds of the law. 
you might say, well, we're not under the law. I'll got surprise for you. You're under a magnified law. You're under a compounded law that made sure that you wouldn't escape. I'm going to prove it by the scripture. Now we know, Paul said in Romans also, that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth might be stopped. Do you have a mouth? The law was given, and the compounded law, Brother Branham calls it the magnified law, it came so our mouths could be stopped. Why? Because the mouth that's speaking it also is condemned. You might say, are you speaking about a certain something? I'm speaking about every person here. There's no mouth that has the ability or has the liberty and is freed from the grace of God, outside the grace of God, and the grace of God shouts for yourself. No law that every mouth may be stopped. That's not the end of that. And all the world. Are you in the world? All the world may become guilty before God. That's why it came. The law didn't come to make some just and some condemned. It came to condemn all. And you say, this is such a harsh thing, Brother, Brother Biscoll, it's such a harsh thing. You have to be condemned before you can be the recipient of grace. You might say, well, I was. No, you are. Outside of grace, you are condemned. Unless you're the recipient of grace, the receive, on the receiving end of grace at this moment. We all are condemned. There's no one that's righteous. No, not one. James said, and whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. I've used this, especially with Seventh-day Adventists. And if there's any that will ever listen, Seventh-day Adventists, they just cut. They cut to the finest line on the seventh day. And if you don't keep the seventh day, if you don't keep Sabbath, if you don't keep Saturday, you are condemned. You don't have the revelation. I said, does the scripture not say that he that offends in one offends in all? I said, can you tell me that you keep all the law? He said, well, no. I said, then you're guilty of it all. There went his argument on the seventh day. You know, you never want to be found in a place where you're only answering questions. You've got to ask a few. That's, that's Jesus' tactic. They said, by what authority do you do this? He said, well, I have a question for you too. John, was he of man or was he of God? And they went into a little huddle. Came back out, said, we can't answer that. He said, that's just what I thought. Neither can I tell you by what authority I do this. He could have told them, but he's just not on the receiving end of everybody's questioning. You got the Holy Ghost? Are you sure that you're a believer? Well, you can just say to that doubting spirit that comes to you, one thing I do know, that you are headed for hell. 
you are headed for the flames of hell. All that doubt, I know what Christ has done through me, through grace. I just have to be careful now that I don't get evangelistically preaching because it would be so easy at this moment. That all the world might become guilty. And then James says, for whosoever, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Paul said in Galatians, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever you are, justified by the law. You're fallen from grace. And when I say law, don't think about the Ten Commandments. Think about the magnified law. Paul said again in Romans, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. The law wasn't sin. The problem with the law was the flesh was too weak and couldn't keep it. And God put the law, he put a law so structured, he knew before he even had Moses up on the mount that nobody could keep it. He gave the law because they, they, weren't, they weren't satisfied with the grace that had come to them. Never lose sight of the grace that has come to us. And they lost sight of it. So he sent them a law that would condemn them. What shall we say is the law of sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. That's the purpose. Law comes that we will know sin. And if we know sin, then we feel we're, then we automatically have a feeling of condemnation. I'm condemned because of sin. That's how Satan has such an advantage. If he can move us off of our foundation of grace, he'll move us. Because there's no flesh that you couldn't even begin to live good enough. And if you contribute one iota to Calvary, then it didn't need the blood of Jesus Christ. Either the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth all sin or cleanseth no sin. And if you can contribute anything to it, then the death of Jesus Christ was insufficient within itself. And I say, all hail King Jesus. I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Paul said, I had not known lust. Except the law said, thou shalt not covet. He said in in Galatians, my last scripture, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions. The law was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Did you earn promise? Well, you couldn't do anything for the promise. Did you earn something? Did you earn something that God owes me a promise? No. The law and the transgressions and all of that was waiting for the seed to come. And when the seed came, then grace was made known to them. Are you still with me? Okay. Oh my goodness. The time is slipping away quickly. So thus, in order to show the people really where they were, God commanded Moses to build a tabernacle according to the pattern showed him in the mount. So now what he did here on earth, he built a tabernacle according to the pattern that had been showed him on the mount. Because in heaven there also was an altar with blood on it for our, a sacrifice for us. I don't understand all of that, but we'll come to know when we cross over. But Moses built a tabernacle. Now, I started getting into, uh, I want you, if you get tired, just...
you know, I'll have you all stand and turn around for a moment, but if you can stay with me, are we all right for time? <laughs> all right. Now, when, when God had Moses make this tabernacle, and someone has said, and I think it's worthy of repeating, the center of the earth is Israel, and the center of Israel is the, was the temple. And the center of the temple is the Holy of Holies. And the center of the Holy of Holies is the ark. And the center of the ark is the word. That's the center of all things. Now, perhaps this is the uh, ark just for a moment and the mercy seat you don't see any seat those are two cherubims on top that are bending with their wings touching the mercy seat what is referred to as the mercy seat is actually that slab the lid over the tablets the tables of law that were inside a noted uh, Jewish leader said recently, and I thought I would just write it, it was so fitting for this morning. This is a very learned Jewish leader, a religious man and spiritual in their understanding. He said, quote, the tabernacle contained the most precious gift the Jews got, the tablets handed from God to Moshe or Moses. Well, I'm not as learned as he is, and perhaps not quoted like he is, but he's making a serious error. The two tablets in there condemned him. The two tablets in there condemned the entire Israel. The two tablets in there, according to the Apostle Paul, condemned them all. What he missed was the mercy seat that was on top. It's called a place of propitiation, or in the Hebrew, a covering. Because back then, God was simply covering their sin. And that the whole thing was ineffective unless they slayed an animal and they took a basin of blood. And once a year, the high priest went in, not only for the sins of the people, but for his own sin. All was condemned. There was no good people. You may not have been able to lay a finger on that high priest's life, and I'm sure you would not have been able to. But what was in that ark condemned him. And he went in according to the scripture, and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. Hallelujah! For the people, they weren't worthy outside. They weren't contributing anything outside. They didn't die. An animal died. It wasn't their blood. An animal died. They didn't ordain the high priest. God ordained the high priest. What was it? It was grace. 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 All the way along it was grace that was coming to them. And they sprinkled blood on the mercy seat. And Moses then on another occasion sprinkled blood on the people wonder what you'd be doing if that was taking place this morning and actually were sprinkling blood 
But there was no justification in that blood. They were made conscious of the sin and the guilt. And, the, and it tells us that they came in guilty and went out guilty. Because the scripture tells us there was no power in the law or in the blood or in the sacrifices to cleanse the conscience. They went in guilty and came out guilty. But we have entered into another veil. Hallelujah. We have come before another mercy seat where there is no remembrance of sin anymore. And if there's a remembrance for one person, there's a remembrance for all people. All people. And I don't think there's anybody here that wants their past dragged up. Then all people then there's no forgiveness for all people. Or say, well, there can be forgiven, but it's still remembered. That's contrary to this Bible. So you say, well, listen close. When was your past forgiven? When I got saved. When did you get saved? When I repented. Okay. And the scripture says that if we sin... We have an advocate with the Father. Is he an effective advocate? Ineffective advocate? Does the blood still atone or doesn't atone? And that person repents. Is it, for, for, is it forgiven? And if it's forgiven, is it forgotten? Oh, well, no, somehow we can still lay our hands on it. Then that means that any sin that you had before your first repentance, that also can be remembered. And I don't think you want that all brought up. But if you touch someone else, if you raise yourself up and lift yourself up and say, well, uh, I see this failing, I see this sin in their life. If they've repented, if there has indeed been a repentance, and according to the prophet's word, and, it, and the ink fell into the blood, the bleach, and broke it up until even God can't find it. Is that what he said? How many times, many times, that even God can't find it? But Satan would be very ready to anoint your memory channel. And that's for a, for a double reason. One is, if he can anoint your memory channel to your own past, that gives him a channel to come in and condemn you. And if you live under condemnation, you can never be the free person that God intends you to be. Are you all right for time? Because I'm not done. Now, I want to, here's a paradox. The flesh body of Jesus Christ equated to or was equal to the very law that you see in that box. 
having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain a new man, so making peace. He abolished, he abolished the enmity and even the law of commandments in his flesh. Now, in the message token, I hope that you're able to stay with me because I don't want to have to come to it at this point again. It's hard to me to break into it. All right? Amen. Ephesians 3, 4.30 says, Grieve not the Holy Ghost of God, whereby you are sealed until the day of your redemption. Not till the next revival, not a, but until the day of redemption. He that's born of God does not commit sin. Because the seed of God remains in him. See, it's not that the person, because I'm going to read another quote, says that we sin every day. But it's not regarded or attributed to the person that has come under the grace of God. Just hold it very closely. I don't want you to get lopsided on that. That's why I took two quotes. Listen to them closely. It says it does not commit sin... The seed of God remains in him and he cannot sin. How can he when the token's there? And the token is only there because God showed his grace to that individual. So by grace, the token rests there. All right? A token, the token is a sign. He's been accepted. Hallelujah. The token is there. And the token is a sign. He's been accepted. Does he fail? Does he make mistakes? Do they do wrong? Do they sin? The prophet says they do sin. In the sense of... I'll I'll, I'll read it for you. He says if he comes and tries to strike you with sickness... Or something else. He said show him your token. And prove to him that you are a purchased product of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hold the token over you. Unmovable in faith. His promised word. Now the scripture says. 1 John 3 and 9. Whosoever is born of God. Doth not commit sin. For... See, it just doesn't say he does not commit sin. He says, for his seed remaineth, remaineth in him. Not his seed visits him. His seed remaineth in him. You might say right away, and far be it from so. Well, Brother Ed, are you making allowance for sin? No, but what I'm saying to you is under... Maybe not under the law, even though I will say there's no one here who keeps the Ten Commandments. So let's get that out of our mind. And for sure, when Jesus Christ came, and I've got to move on quickly to that. When Jesus Christ came, the scripture says that he, he was the fulfillment of the law. But also now, and I touch on what I touched on just briefly last Sunday. He also increased or intensified or magnified the law. 
Brother Branham said grace was before law, during law, and after law. <laughs> grace was before law, during law, and after the law. Are you happy about that? Now, magnified grace and magnified law. Listen close. So when the fullness of grace came, the fullness of grace came. He was full of grace. The Bible never says of Moses that he was full of grace. There's no place in the scripture that says that the law was full of grace. Now the fullness of grace came. And watch it magnify. Now the fullness. So the grace was magnified. Are you in agreement? You say amen. Grace was magnified. In fact, it's when it's full, there's nothing greater than that grace. And now watch it magnify the law. It is said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, he that looketh on her, looketh on a woman, to lust after her or to have strong desires for her, hath committed adultery already in his heart. And there's, a, there's such a tendency to kind of lessen that and say, well, it doesn't you know, fully mean. I'll, I'll tell you how it means it. Apostle Paul picks it up and he intensifies it. He says, know ye not that he, doesn't say a believer, unbeliever, anybody else. He that is joined, and he took the other extreme. He that is joined. This man might be an excellent man. This man might be just an excellent, morally fine man. But he that is joined to an harlot is one flesh. He takes the marriage union words. And he's one flesh. And in one short phrase... The magnified grace condemned everybody. Condemned all men at least. And you know why? Here's one of the mysteries that's been revealed. And when, and, and, and when the headstone came and the mysteries revealed, then we started shouting grace, grace. It started shouting amongst us. Because one of the mysteries was, and the prophet said, he said, the law can only be the policeman. Now you can't take a prophet's words and adjust it. The law can only be a policeman. And the policeman can only put you in jail. He cannot take you out. I'm going to emphasize that the law can't take you out. Some says, well, you know, I, I didn't do that. I don't do that. You're putting yourself in jail. Now, I, I speak these things even at the expense of being misunderstood because it's on the Internet and goes everywhere. This I've only shared with ministers, and I'm sharing it now with this congregation. I've shared this with ministers over a period of perhaps 25 years. And I found it was such a release when they were dealing with things within their own congregation. 
You know, friends, let's just be honest. Let's get to the real world. We're going to be faced with mixed families, difficult. There will be divorce situations. There will be all kinds of uncleanness. There will be these things until we leave here. And there are people who are perhaps right here, and you may have had questions. People who go through the most unfortunate and of situations, and their homes are broken, and wives have gone, or husbands have gone, and give themselves to the kingdom of Satan, and then they come, and do I have a right to marry, or whatever more. I'm not, I'm not that kind of a judge. And then, and then you can go to the scripture and get all kinds of quotes leaning one way or quotes leaning the other way. A man can, but a woman can't. And all of these, which is exactly what the prophet said. And you might say, well, Brother, Brother Bisco, we've, you know, we haven't said anything, but we've observed your motions, your movements, your decisions. Your, we've observed it. Maybe we've even questioned it, whatever more. And what I do is I don't go just at what Brother Branham said. Is that right? No. I don't go just what he said because you can fabricate and structure things to fit your own situation. But what I do, I put my back up against what Brother Branham did. And that is why I have not participated in marrying divorced people because Brother Branham wouldn't even marry his own son. Maybe some of you didn't know that. He wouldn't marry Billy Paul. But they had communion together. They had foot washing together. Billy Paul was still with them. There wasn't one single, there wasn't one single moment that he wasn't his son and that he wasn't part of him in his ministry. Billy Paul was still there handing out cards. And furthermore, in case you're not ready to shout, Grace, Grace, the pillar of fire came one day and spoke to Billy's wife, Lois. The very woman the prophet wouldn't marry him to, but the grace of God came and spoke and said, You'll have a child. She kept having miscarriages and losing children. You'll have a child. Something, friends, I fully expect to get into waters that are swimming waters for you. I fully expect to get into things that's causing you to think about. But it's still there. It's not something I studied this last week. I'm now pouring out years of myself. And I shall go into, to go and, and face and be with God this afternoon. I will thank the Lord that I was able to deliver my soul. What do you think that Sister Lois, God bless her, we've been in her home. She's a lovely person. What do you think she could say? One thing, grace, grace unto it. We're not here to be the answer for everybody's life or everybody's problem. But I can tell you one thing. Outside of grace, every man is condemned. And so they came to the, they came to the mercy seat. And the thing that was in there was condemning them. 
But the lid that was on it was called the mercy seat. And it had blood sprinkled on it. Now friends, say sickum. All right, good. I'll carry on. Now came the fullness of the Godhead bodily in a man. The fullness of grace, full of grace and truth. There was no other grace but his grace. Full of grace and full of truth. And now he condemns every man in the country. But also in him. And in a short time he was hanging on Calvary. And the blood was spilt. And the prophet of God said the mercy seat was in plain view. And they couldn't see it. Whether they saw it or not it was still there. And there were a few that caught it. There are a few that saw he was mercy to them. He was grace to them. There was a few. There was a handful. And I want to believe there's a handful here today. What was it? Magnified law and magnified grace. And having said that, now you can understand when the group of men came. Oh, it's incredible. Brother Branham said, these Pharisees, you couldn't put your finger on their life. They probably lived better lives than most of us. And they've got stones in their hand to fulfill the law of Moses. And they said to Jesus, this woman has been caught in the very act of adultery. Moses has said she should be stoned. And what do you say? And a lot of people, they start getting technical about that. Why she said what she said or why he said what he said. No, I want you to catch the whole principle. They were trying to justify themselves by the policeman. And the policeman, the prophet says, under the unveiled mystery of the headstone at this coming time, that the policeman can only put you back in jail. And because they used the policeman, Jesus threw them all back in jail. He that's without sin cast the first stone. He didn't say she didn't commit adultery, but she had been brought she had been brought, can you imagine those men that were actually condemning her, brought her to the fountain of grace. Oh, I feel like shouting hallelujah. I feel like shouting grace, grace unto it. I feel like shouting I feel like shouting to my Lord Jesus I was kneeling there, writing in the sand, Grace! Grace! I'd like to have danced around him and said, Grace! Grace! I'd like to have danced around him saying, What grace is this? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And her condemnation blew away! When grace spoke, said, neither do I condemn thee. 
go and sin no more. I don't know about you, but that's the treatment I want. We're in danger of developing message Pharisees. Don't ever fall into that trap. Well, now we have got the message, and, and I live according to the message. And I live, I live according, just a second, with every word you're throwing yourself back in jail. Because the message actually... There was the revealing Luke 17.30 came and magnified even the law over what Jesus spoke. Mo- Moses said nothing about a man looking on a woman. Jesus did. But when our Lord Jesus in his coming, according to Luke 17.30, when Jesus was here, he said nothing about how a woman dressed. Do you know Why? The women all of that time dressed as women ought to. It wasn't pertinent. So, so it's, it's the place. It's the place. The place of mercy. When that, when that uh, ark was in the tabernacle, it wasn't for the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Hittites and all the otherites. It was for Israel. There was none of the other nations that were recipients of that grace. That blood wasn't for the rest of the world. That blood was for them. My brother, my sister, this message came to you. You heard it. Grace came to you. To speak neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What grace is this? So the mercy seat moved. The mercy seat moved. Hold that phrase. Keep it. Go home with it. The mercy seat moved. And when it moved, it was no longer in the tabernacle. It was there walking in a body of flesh. The mercy seat was there with them. And a few people saw it and a few people got it. But most were condemned by him. Because the law was magnified. Do you know why a lot of people don't believe the message? Do you know why? Because I say it's too judgmental. You've heard it. And it is. If you're only going to get the law part of it. Jesus didn't say anything about how a woman dressed. Now you have the spirit of Elijah saying. You might be as pure as a lily. Morally speaking, you might be as pure as a lily. But if you've dressed so as to cause a man to look on you and lust after you, you will stand before God as a prostitute. And I can see, well, many good ladies sitting here saying, oh, no, no I, I, somehow I could never be equated or equal to a prostitute. Do you, know why the, do you know why our Lord Jesus Christ said that in this generation? So that all would be condemned. Jesus in his first coming condemned, as far as I'm concerned, condemned all men. Because the law came to throw everybody in jail. And, and the prophet of God, Jesus Christ, in his second coming, and speaking this message to the prophet, essentially threw all women in jail. 
condemned all. Why did he say as pure as a lily? Because they are. There was women in front of him while he was saying it that was pure as a lily. Never knew any other man. Maybe just her husband. But the apostle Paul says, He that is joined to an harlot. And Jesus said, If a man looks, he's committed it. So I hope there isn't anybody here trying to justify themselves by the law, by the words of Jesus, or by a prophet's message. Because that part came to condemn. You say, well, how can that be? I thought it came. You have to understand the condemnation of this generation before you can, before you can realize and grasp the grace that has come. And if we go by the law that Jesus came, the magnified law of Jesus over Moses' law, and if we go by the double compounded law of the prophet's message in this day, I can say if anybody tried to come and tell me that I'm free, I'm pure by those two laws, I would, I'm sorry, but I would say you're a liar. You're not true. There is no flesh come justified by that law. What is the answer? I don't know who he comes, who he'll come to, but I can tell you that the mercy seat, hold on to it. He said when he came and took the book, he left the mercy seat, not a geographical location. And that is why he's even asked, is there no mercy anymore? Can no one be saved? He says, oh no, don't think that. Why? The the access to the mercy has transferred. It's not back on some mountain in the wilderness. It's not back in Jerusalem. The flesh of Jesus Christ has been buried and he's been raised a a, a new person because the scripture says we're married to him who's raised from the dead. Are you still with me? The mercy seat is found in Christ. And Christ has transferred from flesh to word. And if this message found its way to you. Now listen friends, listen. I'm getting wore out, but I'm going to pursue this. He goes to the conception. And he's looking at artificial insemination. And he says he sees that that the sperm from from the animal goes to the egg. and, and, And all those germs are moving around. He said, and it hits this one and hits that one. And there's millions there, perhaps. And it hits another one, hits another one. Maybe right far against the wall, it hits one seed. It hits one uh, germ in that egg. And life comes. This message came and hit a lot of people, friends. This message came and hit the eardrums of millions of people before it hit yours. And for somebody, it was for them. For the next person, it wasn't. But when it came to that elected seed, there was grace. I don't care what kind of a life you've lived. You might be the best and the purest person on the globe. And you might be the rankest sinner on earth. But when the message came your way, your sins are forgotten in the sea of God's forgetfulness. The mercy seat is in Christ and Christ is the word 
You say, was the law evil then? No, the law's not evil. Is the compounded law evil? No, the compounded law's not evil. What does it do for us? It may, if you've lived a godly, honorable life, it's wonderful. Your memory's not chucked full of terrible things. And those of you that have not been that fortunate, you may have been living on the streets. You may have been as this woman. What about the woman at the well? One husband. How long she was with him, I don't know. Doesn't work. Second husband. Doesn't work. Just imagine the emotional upheaval that's going on in her life. And three and four and five husbands. He said, In that thou saidest is the truth. And the husband and man you have now is not your husband. Her dark eyes, like the prophet said, her dark eyes flashed. I know. I don't know very much. I don't know how to pick a husband. I don't know how to fix my life. But I do know one thing. When the Messiah comes, He'll tell us everything. He'll solve all my problems when the Messiah comes. And there is the fullness of grace. I that speak to thee am He. And she dropped her water bucket and ran into the city and come see a man who told me all that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? What could she say? I'd say two words. Grace. Grace unto it. Grace. Grace. That's where your past went. And if you err, if you fail, if you fall, I can tell you according to the scripture, he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you are a son of God, the prophet said, you'll rise up quickly. And you'll repent. I have two scriptures that I use all the time. I have people that come and they confess. I failed God miserably. I have fell into sin. All right. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that brings a man to repentance or a woman. So right away, I, I want to see if there has been repentance. Not, not to see if they've repented. That's not it. I want to see if the goodness of God has come to them. When I perceive that the goodness of God has come to them and they have seen the error their way and they have repented and made a full repentance, then I also know that as the scripture has said that the, and the prophet emphasizes in the unveiling of the word that it disintegrates the very substance. In fact, is I'll give you something I don't understand. He said the ink goes into the bleach and breaks it up. And he said, quite frankly, you can't find it again because it has become bleach. 
it has become bleach. Now I told you I was going to say some very powerful things. And I don't mind you misunderstanding me. You don't have to worry about that. That's what he said. He said precisely that. It becomes bleach. Say, how can that be? Because in the beginning, it was not so. In the beginning, when God thought of you, he didn't think of you as a sinner. He didn't think of you as a failure. He saw you as a son and daughter of God. And when a person gets that revelation, all they can say with shoutings and crying, grace, grace unto it. Amen. Thanks, Brother John. I know that's what I need. I know that's what this congregation needs. And you'll be able to poke it right back at Satan when he brings it to you. And just so you, and with this I'm going to close. He says, and uh, hear ye him, because I've been speaking, but now I want to give you his words for it. And hear ye him. He said, no flesh can be saved keeping the law. The law was only a schoolmaster. The law didn't have any remedy. The law was the prison house. And you might say, well, that was, he's referring to the law of Moses. Don't interpret it. Let him interpret his own sayings. He says, the law was God's policeman that put you in jail. But it had no remedy to bring you out. The law does not, does not bring you out. That is so it would stop every mouth from saying, Well, I was not guilty of that. You're guilty of it all. According to the law of Moses, perhaps there's a large number here are not adulterers or adulteresses. You might say that's very strong language. That's correct. But according to the law of Jesus, the magnified law of Jesus, and the double magnified law, there's nobody here. Nobody here is justified by that. We all are condemned and we're worthy of death. But grace, grace is not a light word, friends. Grace could only come in the unfolding of the headstone to quell the flames of this generation. Vile generation. Wicked and evil. Unclean generation. The shopping malls are unclean. The streets are unclean. The schools are unclean. The churches are unclean. It's an unclean generation. And except it was for the, but for the grace of God that says, I'll send you, Elijah the prophet, one man in the hand of God with the word in his mouth. Are you with me? Which spoke grace, grace to the elected people. I'm not even dealing with anyone else. I'm talking about the elected. The predestinated. And they will see that grace has come to them. Let me just finish this. I'm trying, I'm trying to close. In law or grace, 
said back in the time that God sent down the law, that was added to show that these things were sin. But now the law couldn't take away sin. It only magnified sin. So there was a time when there was, there was no law. He said, if there's no law, you can go 90 mile an hour down the street. Because there's no law. But soon as there's a law that says it's 30, you're condemned. And you feel the guilt when you go 50. And that's why you look in the mirror to see if there's a red light coming. If there was no law, then you lived, every man lived by his conscience. But then the law come, he said, to make that magnified sin. But in the baptism of the, of, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just give me five minutes, I've got to close. He says, how horrible sin was. How horrible, not was, but what it is now. And if that was under the law, and Christ came to magnify that law, catch it now, don't let your mind be weird, Christ came to magnify that law. And he said, You've heard them say of old times, Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause is killed already. He says, Magnified it. You've heard them say, Them of old times, Thou shalt not commit adultery. That was the act, he said. But I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery, magnified it a thousand times. Don't tell me it wasn't the act. Don't try to escape under the line by saying it wasn't the act. Apostle Paul said it was the act. According to the word of Jesus. If you look on a woman, it says, he didn't say it's like committing adultery. It is committing adultery. And then the prophet goes on to say, well, he said, if it taken 14 generations, now he's not, only ta- he's not talking about adultery at all. He's actually talking about children that were, uh, uh, children that were conceived prior to marriage. Amen. Well, if it's taken 14 generations for that to fade out, what, he says, what when a magnifying glass of God is thrown on it? Brother Branham's asked a question. You've never heard me speak of this subject like this. He's asked the question, what about children that are born outside of wedlock? Can they go in the rapture? And he starts a paragraph and he says, well, being, being saved, uh, you know, I see that. But being in the rapture, I, I don't see how one could be in the rapture. And he goes on like that. Then he comes and he turns the subject and comes to the under the blood of bulls and goats. That wasn't possible. It went on for generations and generations and 14 generations. But he says, but now, under the blood of Jesus Christ, that's different. I've had them in my office. I've sat with them when they were wrenched inside 
said I've had people tell me or I've had those and I've seen it you know in the message and it's spoken and Brother Branham says this that 14 generations and can I be redeemed and I go to that one line but under the blood of Jesus Christ it's different why because that's the blood that takes it back that's the bleach my brother and my sister That's the bleach. The sin hit the bleach. And every predestinated son and daughter of God will stand redeemed before God because the grace of God was before any law. And it is during the law. And it is after the law. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. to say because my time has run out and I promised I would close I want to say to you as believers and this is not a light statement the mercy seat has moved this mercy seat that you see is not given to everyone don't start asking well why well then how will those in Mongolia or how those those are that's that's God's creation that's his business what about the good people amongst the Canaanites and the Gershites and all the Gergeshites and all the otherites? What about them? That's none of our business. God brought them on the scene. God knows what to do with them. And God knows what level of grace or mercy He extends to people. That's not our business. But our business is very clear. The mercy seat has come into full view. And grace, abundant grace, grace, grace. And with the coming of the headstone. And that's why the prophet ties the ministry of the seventh angel to it. Because the ministry of the seventh angel was restoring the faith of the children back to the fathers. He said, in other words, rebuilding the temple. What temple? This temple. He said, where's the mercy seat now? It's in your heart. It's in your heart. It's in your heart. And that ark that I showed you as a table in a, a, a box, it was not sufficient by itself. It had to have blood in it. So the mercy seat is in your heart. And the bleeding word came to that ark. And when the blood of the spotless Son of God came to the mercy seat in your heart. There was not even a remembrance of your sin. God saw you as you're going to be in His kingdom. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! There ought to be a lot of people who are prepared to stand up with shoutings and cries, Grace, grace unto it! I say crimes, grace, grace. Grace greater. Marvelous grace. 
Oh, I feel like shouting hallelujah. He's worthy of more breath than you've got. He's worthy of more praise than you could give him. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord Jesus, don't let them miss it. Don't let the people miss it. Like the woman a prophet is speaking to, and here the angel of the Lord is right there hovering right over her to reveal what her need was. And he says, oh, I hope she doesn't miss it. I praise your word went out today, Lord. Things that you've laid so heavily upon my heart. Don't let anyone on the internet or on the telephone or in the, in the fellowship room or in the, in the nursery or here in the sanctuary. Don't let anybody miss it, oh God, is my prayer. May they take it and receive it to themselves and say, Oh, oh gracious God, merciful one, come I pray and renew a right spirit within me. Cause me, O oh God, to know the depths of your love and the depths of your grace. Jesus, Jesus, how I personally have prayed of late with such a deep desire, I'd like to be like you. Lord, just to be like you. To speak like you and to act like you and to respond like you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me. We're coming to communion tonight. Forgive me, O oh God. Forgive this congregation, I pray, on behalf as the pastor of these people, a shepherd or a watchman. I pray, O oh God, that each one will come to that beautiful and glorious realization. I'm free. Now I am free. I can shout hallelujah. Hallelujah! Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord Jesus is exalted amongst His people. The name of the Lord Jesus is to be exalted. Lift Him up, all ye people. Give glory to Him who hath redeemed you. The grace of God has sent us a way of escape. The way of God, the grace of God has sent us a covenant. The way, the grace of God has sent us a revelation. The grace of God has opened up the seals to us. Oh, God. What shall we do with this grace? He shall bring the headstone. He shall bring forth the headstone with shoutings, crying, grace, grace unto it.
get this brother brother Jess my wife has some words right behind you we have to sing this my brother Jess to take a microphone to my wife pray for my wife she doesn't want to sing sometimes she remembers all the words and I need her to sing for me. Can you I'm going to give you a microphone dear and give her lots of power. Here dear do you want do you want the words? Why don't you just come here stand here. Lost in my sin. Banished from God, knowing not of his grace. Seeking by merit to gain my salvation. Ever despairing of, of winning the race. Oh! How I gasped. In God's offer of mercy. Now I can sing. Now I am saved. I want you to listen to the words. Lost in my sin, in the darkness I wandered. Banished from God, knowing not of his grace. Seeking by merit to gain my salvation, ever despairing of winning the race. Now I am saved, I can shout hallelujah. Saved from my sin and my darkness made bright. No more in sin and in darkness I wander. Jesus has banished my gloom and my night. Oh, how I grasped at God's offer of mercy When by His grace He revealed it to me Showing me Christ who had purchased my pardon When for my sin He was judged on the tree he was now. now I am saved I, I can, can shout, shout. Hallelujah. hallelujah 
That's what I've been saying through the whole service. That was my phrase from the song. I just had to have it. Now, now I can say, I can shout, Hallelujah. Save from my sin and my pathway made bright. No more in up to him. Jesus has banished my gloom and my Friends, I know this is the mind of Christ. I'd like this. Whether you're on the tune, don't worry whether you know it or you don't know it. Here, just a moment, please. I want to sing this chorus a couple times and then we're going to dismiss. I want you to know today Jesus has banished my sin, your sin, your darkness and your night. I say, go and sin no more. The grace of God has come to you. Now I am I can shout hallelujah Save from my sin And my pathway atmosphere tonight. Brother Lance will be ministering. We'll have the Lord's table and the communion. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and your kind attention. Such a help to me. God bless you. You're dismissed.